Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today, it's such a pleasure to welcome into the show Joe Swinson. Uh, many of you will recognize the name. She's a former leader of the Liberal Democrats here in the UK, a first woman and youngest person to hold that position. Uh, former member of the UK Parliament and also business minister. And today she is the Director of Partners for a New Economy. It's an international donor collaborative that wants economics to benefit people and nature, seeking positive environmental and social outcomes. And they build communities that bring new thinking to traditional economics, driving change to repurpose our economic system and make it fit for the challenges of the 21st century. Uh, they were founded in 2015 by a small group of foundations, including the Mava Foundation and the Oak Foundation. And I mentioned those two specifically because I've had the pleasure of hosting the heads of both of those foundations on the show before. So Linda Manson at the Mava Foundation and Doug Griffiths of the Oak Foundation. So check those two out as well. Before we kick things off, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they are able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. So Joe, without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. It's great to be here, Alberto. Really delighted to join you um, as a uh, a keen podcast listener myself uh, and uh, so yeah who, who knows many of you people listening to this may well be uh, like I do out running or in some kind of uh, sporting escapade or maybe cooking something but uh, hopefully this will be enjoying chat whatever people are up to. Excellent excellent so tell us a little bit about Partners for a New Economy what's the what's the organization all about? So Partners for a New Economy is a collaboration of donors like you said of philanthropists who recognize that the root cause of many of the problems that we are facing is in our, our economic system, the fundamentals, the wiring of how things operate, the assumptions that we have of, you know, whether you know business should only be for profit and whether individuals pursuing you know selfish ends actually ends up in the uh, the best outcome for everyone and we we want to challenge that we we think that there is a better economic system that can be designed and that that will be able to result in nature and all people flourishing and so we've been around as you say for about six years uh, initially then it was four different philanthropic foundations that came together. We've since grown and welcomed uh, the Lauders Foundation and the Ford Foundation. So we're now six strong and uh, and also seeing many more uh, philanthropic organisations uh, turning their attention to the deeper economic systems change that 
you know, is is driving us to the climate crisis that is so detrimental to our natural environment, and you know that these are these are ultimately yeah, existential issues uh, for us. And instead of just addressing the symptoms, we really need to to look at the the root causes and and accelerate systems change. And one of the interesting challenges is it's quite straightforward for people to look at the system as it is and say, look, this is broken. It is not working. It's not working for people. It's not working for our natural world. What's harder, of course, is to imagine something new and to say, this is how we can create something better. And that's what many of the organisations that we make grants to are doing in all sorts of different ways. And we've currently got about 30 different organisations that uh, receive funding from us. And uh, obviously, on an ongoing basis, we're always uh, finding uh, new people and uh, projects to support. Great stuff. Great stuff. What are some of those challenges that you're really uh, putting your attention to? So I think it doesn't really matter where you look. We're we're facing uh, multiple crises. So I mentioned already the climate crisis, which is obviously very well documented. We've got the COP26 coming up later this year. I think increasingly uh, attention is recognizing the the nature crisis you know the mass extinctions that are happening the problems with uh, the the loss of habitat and ecosystem collapse and that of course we can't predict exactly in what ways that has an impact but you know we're we're in the middle of a global pandemic and the spread of you know zoonotic diseases is one of the major threats that we face so you know, there's all sorts of ways in which the actions that we're taking are resulting in uh, in changes that that then rebound on us now and indeed for future generations. And at the same time, we we are obviously living through the the pandemic crisis, uh, and that comes on top of existing massive social challenges. You know, so many people. Uh, I mean, I'm s- sitting here in London, uh, and and it's true in the UK as it is in you know in every country in the world. You know, living without the enough ability to feed themselves and their family, and obviously that is even more acute uh, in in many parts of the world. We've seen uh, a kind of inspiring year of protests uh, to demand racial justice uh, but of course you know rooted in centuries of uh, kind of colonialism and, uh, and and discrimination and we're we're still living in a society where in every single country in the world the power is disproportionately held in the the hands of men and uh, and indeed you know the worst impacts of things like climate change and uh, destruction of natural ecosystems you know hit the poorest first hit women and children first. So uh, so these are multiple crises and we need to be addressing them in a joined up way. And uh, that's what I'm really excited about doing, about trying to make sure we can bring these different movements together and, and also see the opportunities of creating solutions, which are not saying, well, let's just focus on climate, but saying, okay, if we're going to be trying to make sure that we are decarbonizing, how do we do that in a way that is regenerative for our natural world? How do we do that in a way that is just to make sure that we right many of the wrongs of the past in terms of our social relationships with one another? And I think that's actually a very exciting prospect. I mean, that's a project that uh, is inspiring for many people. I mean, it's also full of uncertainty. We don't have all the answers yet. Uh, and and that's why, you know, it's it's there waiting to be created. 
as I say, you know, we're funding lots of people and, and organizations that are doing amazing work. And, you know, we we hope that 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 work will grow, that there will be more people brought to those challenges. Um, but the the ingenuity of, of us when we're collaboratively working with one another to solve major uh, challenges and imagine something better is absolutely there. Mm. Tell me a little bit about some of those grants that you're talking about. And I noticed, you know, you, you like to take a bit of risk. Innovation mm -hmm. is something that you have in, in, ingrained as well. And you're connecting people, you're inspiring people. Love to find out a little bit about the grants that you're making. Yeah. So I think, I mean, we take the view that in order to, to create change within a system, you need lots of different people trying to, to make different changes. But the part that we are focused on is trying to see where the edges and the frontiers are and how can we expand those. So taking the emerging ideas and nurturing them and giving them the chance to, uh, to grow and to develop so that they can move towards the mainstream. So, I mean, you know, you can see this on all sorts of different uh, occasions in the past where things started out as being unthinkable and, you know, within a small number of years became uh, became very straightforward. I mean, you know, in, in many countries, you know, the, the pursuit of um, gay rights, for example, you know, we, we moved from, you know, literally not being able to talk about uh, gay relationships in schools when I was growing up to civil partnerships and then gay marriage. You see that that progress. Again, on climate, I mean, the Stern Review was 15 years ago and you know, still not being taken as seriously enough uh, for some time after that. But now, uh, solutions not all there, absolutely, but very much part of the mainstream discussion, whether that's within politics or business or the media uh, and more widely in our culture. So it's about taking things from the edge and moving them to the mainstream. I mean, we're working with, um, you know, student groups uh, like in the UK, uh, Rethinking Economics, although it's an international movement. Uh, we've also uh, support a German group called Netzwerk Plural Economie that's doing a similar thing. They're saying to their, you know, economics tutors, that what they're learning is not good enough because it's not taking a holistic view. It's not seeing how economics plays out in the real world. It's not considering ecological economics or feminist economics. And they need to have a, a different curriculum. And, and that's gaining a lot of momentum. And we also fund the beginnings of that kind of new curriculum. Uh, there's a, a new econ economics curriculum called CORE, which is now being taught in hundreds of universities and, uh, and, it, and is a great kind of step on reforming economics education so I mean that's something which is quite forward thinking but at the end of the day the ideas people learn in university go on to shape their views when they move into business finance the media you know policy making whatever roles they're working in later on we've done a huge amount of work with organizations funding them on uh central banking reform and you know very early on like back five years ago six years ago when those first grants were made by my predecessor uh, Leslie Haroon she was very visionary in recognizing the potential of central banks to move the needle on sustainability and organizations like Positive Money based in the UK although now with a EU uh, operation and and moving towards the US the Council on Economic Policies, the New Economics Foundation, the Institute for Innovation and Public Policy, they have all been working on how to move central banking towards sustainability. And obviously, that has dovetailed with 
key individuals within the central banking world also wanting to move in that direction. And you now have more than 90 central banks signed up to the network for greening the financial system. So, I mean, that's probably an area where there's been the swiftest progress in a in a relatively short time. And, and then, you know, I mean, we're even working with, uh, you know, we, we support the OECD. They have a unit which is the new approaches to economic challenges. And I mean, the OECD is not where you would expect to be uh, perhaps the, the uh, bastion of uh, you know, innovative economic thinking. Um, but there is a, there's a great team there and really lots of uh, very enthusiastic policy officials and indeed ambassadors from different countries who are you know developing that thinking and creating those networks to challenge the orthodoxy which has got us to where we are now and 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 is shown to have failed so you know whether it's you know student groups or whether it's you know very uh, traditional institutions but being open to change uh, we're trying to find the individuals and the the projects that are driving that forward um you know we've got you know within a, a sort of retail banking if you like uh, and bank lending the climate safe lending network and the finance innovation lab that are you know working with people many people who are within uh, existing large banks and are intrapreneurs you know they're working from within to create change and you know getting in in some cases increasingly quite a lot of traction uh, to get banks onto a pathway um, and to to get the the money away from you know the the fossil fuels new investment in fossil fuels I mean even the IEA has come out and said that we need to stop having new fossil fuel investment and so we need the financial flows to back that up and to be flowing towards the 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 future technologies and uh, and innovations and and not you know reinforcing the old technology which i mean you know whatever d- discussion and debate you have about how you phase out the existing fossil fuel capacity you know the, the science is very clear that we absolutely need not to be investing in new capacity and uh, speaking of banks and financial institutions you know these systems they they wield uh, great influence over the environmental and social impact of companies and markets. How can you achieve that, uh, that goal of making the, the monetary and credit systems more accountable? I think what's really interesting in thinking about how do you achieve systemic change is to recognize that, you know, what you're dealing with is not a problem of kind of people being evil, you know, it's not like there's some James Bond villain somewhere, you know, stroking a white cat oh, there coming, up, <laughs> coming up with ways <laughs> to, to pollute the world. You know, you've got a real systemic problem. So even when people try to to make a change, then they, they can often find themselves just kind of the, the system is brittle. They come up against these barriers and, it, and, and something breaks and, you know, maybe they burn out or uh, or they get fired or, or whatever. So what I think you have to do is to try to get a lot of different parts of the system to move at the same time. So if you're looking at finance uh, or business, you know, it's not enough to just get, you know, chief execs of banks uh, or companies to to embrace change. Yes, that's necessary. But you need to look at the wider boards of those companies. You need to look at the governance and the shareholders, which means you also need to look at what the investors decisions are doing. And one of the grants that we 
have made is to a campaigning organization called Majority Action. And what they do is they uh, mobilize shareholders to vote down the reappointment of directors where companies are not properly uh, demonstrating a, a, a solid pathway to you know, a future which is livable. So you've got to do the, the kind of the leadership in the business. You've got to do the investors. You also have to make some progress with the regulators or the, the politicians, depending on the, the particular systems. And ultimately, another part of this is the public, you know, all of us, you know, we all have our roles, whether that's as uh, consumers, when we're making decisions about what products we buy, what, you know, banks we use. And, and I think people can often feel very atomized, like, you know, they on their own can't make a difference, which is entirely understandable, because it's this big kind of behemoth of a system. But if you can find ways for people to operate together, then there is the possibility to to create more change. And, you know, Make My Money Matter is a, a sort of example of a campaign currently particularly focused on the UK and and the pensions industry to get people to say, where is my pension invested? You know, this is my money. This is my money and it's my future. And if, if my future pension savings are invested, you know, heavily in, you know, fossil fuel and, uh, you know, carbon intensive industries, then I might be getting a return so I can, you know, have some money in retirement, but what's the world I'm going to be living in like? So, you know, how you change those things, it has to be all of the different elements of the system that you're working on at the same time. Otherwise, I think, you know, things just kind of break off and and it doesn't really work because even when you have good people trying to change the system, it's hard. So you need people in different areas to be giving each other the space to move. Yeah. Speaking of people, finance, corporates, um, one of those reoccurring themes that I hear over and over again is about income inequality and how stark that is and how that's increasing. I, I don't think you can divide these different crises from one another. And we're not going to resolve the climate crisis or the nature crisis if we don't recognise that the crisis in inequality is part of that. And, uh, you know, so the, the future we create genuinely has to work so much better for people because the the deal that many people have had up till now you know apart from the the kind of the the wealthiest few uh that that deal you know hasn't been hasn't been working for them um so so you have to address it together and it's also about us asking the question you know what are our goals as society like what what, what are we you know what are we trying to achieve and you know for so long it's been that governments have sort of pursued GDP growth as if that is a proxy for success for a country. And we all know, I mean, the analysis has been around for decades of how, how you know, in, inaccurate and how pointless that is to try to use that as one figure that covers everything when crime and environmental disaster adds to GDP and, you know, the, the support, the voluntary support that you give to your neighbours in the, the COVID pandemic, you know, doesn't show up at all yet. We've all realised it's been absolutely essential. So it doesn't count the things that that matter, as Robert Kennedy so so eloquently said back in the 1960s. But it's been very difficult to shake it as, you know, the economic growth figures being what matters. So I think government needs to significantly pivot away to considering 
wider well-being metrics of people and indeed of our, our natural world that we are part of. You know, nature isn't something separate. And I mean, I, you know, I, I've been interested in, you know, what alternatives and how do you create alternatives to GDP, you know, for, you know, 15 or, or more years. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's, it's got a long history, uh, but I think it really is, is coming into its own. And if you start from that premise of prioritizing well-being, then you end up with quite a lot of different decisions which go far beyond how you change the tax take and what those policies are. And places like you know, New Zealand have you know, been implementing well-being budgets. There's a group of five countries that are in the Wellbeing Economy Governments uh, Initiative that is um, you know, the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, who's one of the organisations we support, have been helping to uh, get, off, uh, get off the ground. So that's New Zealand and Scotland and Iceland and Finland and Wales. And so I think you can start to see the seeds of what something new would look like. But we are, I would say, in the early stages of that as well. So if I understand everything correctly from your side, it's not so much a, a specific thematic focus as opposed to identifying innovative ideas with potential to truly transform the reality in which we live. And let me ask you from that two questions, which is one is how do these originally four, now six foundations come together? And the follow up to that, which naturally follows is how can somebody get involved if what you're saying resonates? So obviously it was before my time, but the the initial uh, four foundations, you know, many of the people there had already been collaborating on uh, issues around environmental protection. Indeed, that was what was the stimulus for saying, look, we've been funding these projects on, you know, marine pollution uh, and and you know protecting nature, and those projects might have been successful in and of themselves. But the problem's still getting worse. So why is that? Why have these projects not been addressing the core problem? And, and that's what led to those deeper conversations and the decision to try to do something more ambitious about, you know, fundamentally changing our economy. And, uh, you know, I think that that work, I mean, it's those those four foundations of Mava, Oak, KR and Marisla were the initial four. But there's many that in more recent years have started to look at these issues and Lauders and Ford joined us last year uh, but you know if you look I mean I, I know you've spoken to um, to Larry Kramer at Hewlett uh, who have their whole economy and society initiative that was um, you know it's been going for some time but particularly you know majorly launched last year um, you know a mid-year network with reimagining capitalism and you know OSF and SIF I mean there's there's a lot of these organizations that are you know thinking through these issues and uh, you know and I find myself you know collaborating on you know zoom calls and I'm really looking forward to actually meeting these people in person when when that becomes possible um so I, I think there is a there is a lot of a lot of energy around this as people realize that it's a more fundamental issue with the system so I mean anyone that's that's interested I mean you know partners for a new economy is a is a really great kind of learning community where we we recognize we don't have all of the answers to this but we've We've already uh, identified some really exciting projects and uh, supported them. And, you know, as we learn, we we're able to identify more. And of course, you know, we want to be able to uh, support 
more of these uh, initiatives. Uh, so whether it's you know co-funding opportunities or, or whether it's you know being involved in parts of new economy itself, we're very you know welcoming and, and open to others if people want to get in touch and uh, and, and have those conversations. You know, I do think collaborating and connecting people both within the funder community and also within the communities of you know NGOs and civil society and, and campaigners and activists is absolutely essential because it's when everybody is divided that it's easy for the status quo to prevail you know changing existing power structures is difficult you know power protects itself and and I think philanthropy is in a really interesting position because it does have the potential to to be more innovative to be really effective to be able to direct resources to places where you know they wouldn't necessarily be able to go through all of the accountability hoops that needs to happen for you know public money um you know these obviously might be organizations where there isn't going to be a, a private investment case in terms of generating a, a return but philanthropy is in that position where you know it can take a bold ambitious step and and really help get some of these initiatives you know off the ground and and you know nurtured to to help to create that better future so you know I think that's quite an exciting space to be um and albeit it's perhaps a slightly different way of looking at philanthropy from perhaps the KPI you know approach that was quite prevalent in recent years but I think it's one that will actually deliver a much more long-lasting and exciting change. Yeah, I agree. I think it's quite exciting, very exciting. So you're still fairly small in terms of the number of constituents. I think you have, you mentioned six foundations then. Uh, does that mean then that you can be flexible and creative in terms of if somebody reaches out to you and they say, look, I'd like to get involved somehow, I imagine it's not a highly regimented, highly prescriptive option, but you could probably work with somebody with whatever they might have in mind and try to see how you can align together. Yeah, I think there's there's lots of different ways in, in which that can happen. Uh, as I say, either in terms of, you know, we've obviously had two new foundations who joined us last year and, and that was absolutely wonderful. And there's lots of foundations we also work with on a more informal basis. Again, like sharing, uh, you know, here's a great idea for a project. You know, we're funding this. Have you thought about whether you might be able to fund it as well? I think growing that network um, and those links is is always positive. So tell me a little bit about your trajectory. Give us a little bit of insight about Joe. Uh, how did you get to where you are today? And and and, uh, and what was that like? What was that route like? Yeah, if I if I trace back to you know my my childhood in the nineteen eighties, you know I I always railed against authority, wanted things where there was injustice to change, and my heroine growing up was Anita Roddick, uh, and this was in the heyday of the body shop you know, with the, you know, the little basket that you would go around and you'd get your, you know, your fruit shaped uh, soaps and you'd create a little gift for your friend. And then you'd get to the till to pay and you'd have to sign a petition. I mean, it wasn't entirely mandatory, but it kind of, you know, it almost was. And, and it was a great introduction to campaigning because Anita Roddick's vision was that, you know, business and indeed anything, you know, you, you know, we're here on this world and we should be trying to to challenge what is not right and to make it better, whether that was on fair 
pay for the you know the the women who were producing the cocoa butter that was being used in the products or whether it was you know the way in which animals were treated in the cosmetics industry or uh, the way in which packaging and you know uh, the, the kind of the use of resources was was happening um so so yeah she, i mean she was a real a real trailblazer and i mean that, that kind of led me you know to basically campaigning and activism and then I joined the Liberal Democrats when I got to university and from there got more and more involved while I was pursuing my you know career in business and marketing uh, and then encouraged to stand for parliament and sort of got the bug really um, and realized that I really wanted to change the world it was going to be perhaps a bit more difficult to do when I was you know spending my day job marketing a pop music radio station uh-huh. and you know it might be more fun to be involved in campaigning and so I I then you know worked very hard was also had a degree of good fortune in terms of you know my my home seat having some boundaries redrawn and became a, a Lib Dem MP at the age of 25 and at the time was the youngest MP in uh, in in the UK and I had in total 12 years in parliament um including you know five years when my party was in government and i had the great privilege of being able to serve in government as a business minister and you know introduce you know shared parental leave and uh, win the fight to make sure we got gender pay gap reporting and revamp consumer rights and um you know all sorts of uh, all sorts of changes that were that were possible to drive through but also recognized you know what the constraints and the challenges are in how government is able to uh, to do things and i think that's that's very helpful to draw on but but the um you know I, I was also challenging you know gdp as a as a measure of progress and i helped to set up the old party group on well-being economics back in 2009 uh when it wasn't very uh i mean it was the kind of subject that people sort of looked at you and and sort of said that well-being what like what are you talking about and uh, you know it didn't necessarily uh it, it was certainly not not seen seen as mainstream if i could put it that way so it's great to see more energy more energy in that now um and yeah obviously i then you know became leader of the lib dems uh, in 2019 and uh, fought the general election i you know as i still believe strongly you know that the uk was better off inside the european union working with other countries to be able to tackle all of these uh, you know huge challenges rather than uh, plowing our own furrow and um you know being being more isolated uh, from other countries um you know the the british public obviously felt differently about that uh, and so i moved on to a new challenge but but what i think is really interesting was uh, you know despite spending so much of uh, late 2019 uh, talking about brexit because that was you know the the overarching you know dominant discussion of of politics i was also really interested in the campaign when i was talking about how we needed to reshape the economy so it worked for people and planet and i i was really aware that we had some good policies in our manifesto about ensuring businesses should have to you know say what their purpose was beyond making money and you know climate risk disclosure in financial services and we had some good policies but i also knew that we didn't have the whole answer you know and i i sort of was really interested i remember saying you know after the election i really want to spend more time you know getting into all of that detail and helping to work out some of the policy solutions because i don't think anywhere they've got the prescription for that totally sussed i mean i think biden's doing some really interesting stuff but basically trying to trying to sort of build the plane as he's flying it you know um 
taking some quite radical stances, which is which is great, but it's not like it's fully fledged. Um, as I say, I don't think within the UK that that program has been properly developed. And I think the reason for that is that we're kind of operating within this old paradigm that doesn't really doesn't really work for the types of solutions that we need. And so we're not just trying to think up some new policies. It's actually about trying to move to a different way of thinking about our economy, thinking about the world. And that is fundamentally quite hard to do, but it's it's a really uh, it's a really stimulating challenge. Yeah. And indeed, it's all about thinking, right? It is a very complex environment and we certainly don't have all the answers. And certainly, even amongst the the guests that I've had and people who you know who are running foundations, if we were to ask the question about a billion dollar endowment and do you divest from fossil fuels or not? And do you do it immediately or not? And all of these things, there's no consensus, but I think there's a genuine desire, right? To get to the bottom of what could work. Ultimately, I think the destination there's agreement on, but the route might maybe this there's some differences there. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say I totally agree. So I think you know painting a vision of a world where you know people can. I mean the donut. I mean Donut Economics Action Lab is another amazing uh, organization that that we fund with Kate Rayworth and uh, Carlotta Sands. Um, so you know the donut is such a simple concept that in the middle you have this inner ring of uh, the the basic foundation of. Uh, of what is needed for dignity in, in human living. And that's about access to, to water and to food and equality and, and basic human kind of resources and, and needs. And then on the outer ring, you have these planetary boundaries, which, you know, Johan Rotstrom has, uh, has described in such a great detail. And you need to be able to meet human needs, but not exceed planetary boundaries, which will lead us to, you know, runaway ecological disaster. And so, so that is basically, you know, the, the sort of the vision of what we're trying to achieve but how do you get from a system that is by its nature extractive that is by its nature uh, very unequal in distribution where kind of wealth accumulates more wealth and you know people with very little are you know struggling in an existence where you know their next meal is is not certain um how do you get from that system which is so different to to that future which i think there would be a lot of agreement about uh, trying to create that. And I suppose the only thing is we don't have an exact kind of step ladder of how to get there, but we have to just keep keep moving towards it and, and doing so together and in collaboration. And people will take different views. And I think the movement needs to be broad enough to recognise and to hold those disagreements in a respectful way. You know, we, we need to have the kind of radical imaginary kind of no nonsense about the state of the emergency that we're in. And we also need some voices that are perhaps closer to where things are currently that can move people and bring people from the current system uh, along. And the challenge that we face collectively is how do we do that with the urgency and speed that this moment requires? It's because we are in an emergency. Yeah. Yeah. If you and I are having a coffee, hopefully post-pandemic with no social distancing uh, on King's Road, perhaps 10 years from now, looking back, what would success look like to you? So, I mean, I think it's that the, the, the edge of what's possible has moved so significantly. So, you know, the discussions that we're having today about nature, where it still feels like that is on the fringes, that there's still people that feel that it's in 
uh, in conflict with uh, development for humanity. You know, I feel that that, you know, the idea that we can have progress and, you know, and, and development and by development, I mean, you know, flourishing and well-being not you know economic growth as has previously been defined but people's lives feeling better um i think that we can have that in a way that is regenerative for nature and that that is a mainstream concept in the way that climate is is sort of mainstream today i think that would be a really important barrier to break through within the next 10 years i mean obviously society needs to have you know, transformed in terms of its resource use, in terms of, the, you know, the way we produce our energy, the way we the way we live, and we need to use the opportunity of coming when we do come out of the pandemic and that resetting of norms to be able to imagine something different. I mean, you know, eighteen months ago we wouldn't have been able to conceive that you could have suddenly stopped all air travel almost overnight. And although video conferencing was kind of a thing like that could happen, you know, it, it was still a bit novel. And the idea that you would just have a, a meeting with somebody on the other side of the world and, uh, you know, that that would just be pretty normal. You know, that wasn't that wasn't there. So that, I think, shows us how quickly we can actually adapt and change. It, you know, the pandemic has been absolutely horrendous in terms of, you know, lives lost and, and suffering. We also need to recognise the lessons that we've learned, which can be helpful as we address these other emergencies. So I think that mainstreaming of nature, moving that edge. And the other thing I would hope to see is a real integration of just recognising that these crises need to be tackled simultaneously. We can't, you know, sort climate and just go for net zero and you know the, the trap I don't want us to fall into much as I think net zero can be a kind of simple organizing tool and I know there's big debates about how you know how much you know over optimism we place in uh in in sort of carbon sequestration uh, solutions for that but but there's also a danger that we just optimize for net zero in the way that we've got used to optimizing for GDP and that we don't make sure that that's a just transition and we don't make sure it's one that is um you know protective and regenerative of our natural world and so it's it's not just about real like kind of re-plugging into our existing economic system a different variable it it's about you know reshaping the you know it's writing a different software program for it you know it's it's kind of fundamentally starting from a different from a different place so so that's you know that integration of you know income inequality um nature climate you know race and gender equality that you know that integration i would really hope um could be uh yeah if not entirely complete and it's not about saying everybody has to be you know it's not it's all one big homogenous movement but it's about saying that the connections between all of those movements are so strong that you know you wouldn't think about developing a climate solution without thinking about what that means for indigenous people and racial justice Hmm. Now, I always like to ask uh, my guests for a key takeaway. What is that key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? So I think it's a sense of empowerment that, you know, we can do this together, uh, you know, individually and even more collectively. We all have power in different aspects of our lives. And although in some ways you can look at the difficulties that we face and you go, oh my goodness, it's the system that's the problem and the system seems so, you know, immovable. But actually the system was designed by people and it can be redesigned by people. 
So we can write a different future for ourselves and for the generations to come if we are prepared to to do it together and to step forward together. So I would encourage people to, you know, really channel that sense of empowerment and and collaboration. A great takeaway, a good call to action if there ever was one. Joe, it has been such a pleasure uh, speaking with you again, having you on the show, and uh, and thank you for the insight. And here's to your continued success with this uh, with this venture. I think it's uh, fascinating stuff, and still early days. Absolutely, thanks so much. Really good to talk to you, Alberto. Wonderful, and that's a wrap. You've been listening to Joe Swinson, director of Partners for a New Economy and former leader of the Liberal Democrats here in the UK. For a full transcript of today's episode. Just visit our website at liji.org, that's L-I-D-J-I.org, where you will also find over a hundred other conversations with remarkable folks. Thanks so very much for tuning in. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already. Share widely with others, and I'll see you next week.